Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. And this is Sir David Attenborough. Imagine a healthy ocean, its abundance and vitality restored. And not just any ocean. Your ocean. At this point, you are probably a bit confused. Stick with us. We are paying huge sums of money, public money, to keep damaging and destructive fishing activities afloat. Government subsidies are keeping fishing boats fishing, even when there are too few fish left for fishing to be profitable. This episode is about negotiations going on at the World Trade Organization about how to limit the subsidies that David's talking about. It is the one negotiation going anywhere at the WTO. These talks have been going on for a long time, 18 years to be precise. And recently, the negotiators were given a deadline. As part of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal Number 14, government leaders agreed to get a deal at the WTO by 2020 we're going to try to explain why the negotiators are going to miss their deadline. First, let's give listeners some fishy facts. So, Samaya, tell us, how do you catch fish? There are a couple of different ways of catching fish. So you can have farmed fish or aquaculture. And then the other way is that you can go out and you can catch the fish from the sea. That is marine capture. Now, the first kind, aquaculture, farmed fish, that's been growing really quickly. But in this episode, we're really going to be talking about the second kind, the the marine capture. So boats going out into the wild and catching the fish. So, Chad, what are the top three kinds of marine caught fish? Well, top of the list is walleye pollock. You might find that in your kids' fish sticks. Number two is Peruvian anchovy. And that gets used to make fish meal or fish oil, apparently because it has such a strong flavor, it's really tough to to eat a lot of it. Number three is skipjack tuna. That's what it says on the tin. Okay, great. That is the fish fun over. Now let's get into the weeds, the seaweeds. This is going to be a long episode. Think of the ocean as a massive common resource. It could be really challenging for everyone to manage. So when everyone is out there trying to make a living on their own, the risk is that collectively, everybody ends up fishing way too much. People go out and they catch fish, but they catch so many fish that the stocks can't recover and everyone ends up losing. There are basically two problems here that are contributing to this. So the first problem is that when you fish as an individual, you are not taking into account the impact of your fishing on the fish available to everyone else. And then the second problem is that you may not be taking into account the impact of your fishing today on the fish stocks tomorrow. So there's an other people aspect of this and a time aspect of this as well. Economists have a name for this phenomenon. They call it the tragedy of the commons. And it's not just a theory. It's an actual problem. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, In the mid-1970s, only about 10% of the world's fish stocks were being fished at biologically unsustainable levels. But by 2015, that had increased to a third of the world's fish stocks being under threat. 
Now, governments have done various things to try to manage the ocean. It isn't just a complete free-for-all. Around two-fifths of the ocean is within countries' exclusive economic zones, or or EEZs. So that's sort of their territory, and, and the rest is the high seas. So, so the next question is, who is doing all of this fishing? And we should say right now that the data on this is really not as good as we would like. But every source I've seen on this says that number one in the world is undoubtedly China. Chinese boats catch around 20% of the world's fish. They're the world's biggest exporter of fish and fish products. They have the world's biggest fishing fleet. I've seen one estimate that two-thirds of the boats bigger than 24 meters long are from China. They are very active in the high seas. Chinese own waters are overfished, so much so that the Chinese authorities have have imposed a seasonal fishing ban. They're, They're aware that this is a problem. The Chinese are also involved in various territorial disputes. It's fairly easy to find articles on the internet about Chinese boats going into other countries' zones to to seek out fish. China's an issue. But this is not just a China issue. There's other big fishers out there as well. On the high seas, we have Taiwan, Japan, Indonesia, Spain, South Korea, the United States. The likes of India and Brazil, they tend to stay within their own exclusive economic zones, But this overfishing is a global problem. Now, there are various things that you could do to try and lessen the problem. You can do what the Chinese have claimed to try to do and have seasonal bans. You can have sophisticated fisheries management systems. And to be clear, these fishery management systems are really probably the most important part of this whole problem. But when you read up on these things, you realize there's an, a lot of underlying moving parts. So first, you need loads of, of independent scientists to basically just provide information to keep a fishery sustainable. You need the science to tell you how many fish you can catch before things are going to dry up, and what time of the year that you can actually go out and catch the fish, and also whether there's sensitive habitat to worry about. So tuna, for example, a big concern is frequently tuna is caught in a way that catches dolphins as a byproduct and can kill them as well. Another thing these systems have to deal with is how to allocate the right to actually go out and catch the fish. And it's not as easy as just some sort of first come, first serve. That policy can create some really weird incentives that makes everyone want to go out and build a really big boat so that they can go out first and catch all the fish. And finally, enforcement is also really tricky. Do you have loads of police boats monitoring around out there at sea? Or do you try to verify the catches once they show up at the dock? The point here is that the first order thing really is having a good system to monitor and oversee your fishing stocks to make sure that nothing gets out of control and and fish stocks don't don't die out. Getting the details of those policies right is, is really important. And you would need those policies even if there were no government subsidies at all. But now we're going to get onto the subsidies bit. It looks like governments are making the problem worse. They're actually providing subsidies that help fisheries grow capacity, and that is actually contributing to the overfishing. So let's talk about what all these different kinds of subsidies are. There are some that are obviously simply designed to expand fishing capacity. So governments sometimes give money to help build boats or to cover the operating costs of of running a boat. They give funding for gear. Fuel is a really big one. Sometimes ice 
The fish need to be kept frozen. Winches. Other types of subsidies are perhaps a bit further away from the act of fishing, but they can matter. Subsidies to help build ports, for example, so the industry doesn't necessarily have to do it itself. Now, in theory, it would be nice if we knew what every government was providing. And members of the WTO are supposed to notify everyone about the subsidies that they give. Unfortunately, not everyone does. There are estimates out there. Uh, we have a study by the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries at the University of British Columbia. That study estimated that in 2018, governments globally were paying out around $35 billion worth of subsidies. And, and they estimated that two-thirds of that was money that was increasing fishing capacity. So things like fuel subsidies that, that encourage more fishing, that make it easier for the boats to go far out into the high seas. Now, that $35 billion doesn't seem very much in the grand scheme of things. Remember, the Trump administration just handed out $16 billion to farmers that have been affected by the trade war and subsidies to farmers globally. The OECD estimates that in 2018, those amounted to more than $700 billion. But these fishing subsidies are still a problem. And the claim that people like Sir David make is that a lot of this fishing wouldn't be profitable if it weren't for those government subsidies. One study published in Science Advances estimated that around half of all the fishing in the high seas would be unprofitable if it weren't for these subsidies. It looks like the government money is keeping these fisheries afloat. Though again, we should add the caveat that there are some important data limitations in this fish subsidy area. The studies also look at which governments are handing out the subsidies, and unsurprisingly, China's also number one there. But again, it's not just China. Countries in the European Union, Japan, South Korea, they also subsidize, and they mainly do so by expanding capacity of the construction of boats, giving subsidies to, to build bigger boats or boats that might go farther out into the ocean. You've also got Russia and Thailand subsidizing, the U.S., it, it isn't perfect. It, too, provides tax exemptions and some fuel subsidies for its fisheries. But the data look like most of the U.S. subsidies are, are actually okay. They tend to pay out money for things like conservation and fisheries management, so monitoring vessels and trying to ensure that there isn't overfishing in your exclusive economic zone. Yeah, we'll, we'll return to this, but basically one of the debates in all of this is what counts as a subsidy. Now, all of that fisheries management stuff that, that Chad was talking about before, governments have to spend money to implement all of that, to do the monitoring and, and, and all of that. That seems quite different to giving fisher people fuel subsidies. But some people see them as the same. One final thing before we, we go on to talk about what's going on in these talks, there are a lot of people's livelihoods at stake here. There are about 40 million people in the world whose livelihoods involve catching and, and selling fish. Now, it's not that many in, in Europe or the US. It's about 350,000 in, in Europe and, and about 200,000 in the US. It's 32 million in Asia. 32 million. And, and a lot of those people are in very precarious financial positions. A lot of them are very poor. Now, obviously, there's a bigger question. Obviously, having sustainable fish stocks is better for all of them in the long run. But that's just to say that this is very politically charged. 
So you've got tragedy of the commons, you've got incomplete data, you've got territorial disputes, situation where governments are trying to help a lot of very poor people. And at the WTO, you need all 164 members to agree. Easy. So here's what the WTO has been charged with, the UN's Sustainable Development Goal, which sets out what's in the scope of these talks. The target is... By 2020, prohibit certain forms of fisheries subsidies, which contribute to overcapacity and overfishing. Eliminate subsidies that contribute to illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing and refrain from introducing new such subsidies. Recognizing that appropriate and effective special and differential treatment for developing and least developed countries should be an integral part of the World Trade Organization's fisheries subsidies negotiation. Let's take illegal, unreported, and unregulated, or IUU, fishing first. Basically, there are various regional fisheries management systems out there and rules for where and how you're allowed to fish. But some boats break those rules. Now, it sounds really obvious that you would not want to subsidize IUU fishing, but somehow negotiators are struggling. We asked Alice Tipping of the International Institute for Sustainable Development what was going on in all of these talks. So the idea of prohibiting subsidies to illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing would seem to be the easiest thing in the world to agree to. Every minister wants to tweet that they have eliminated subsidies to illegal uh, fishing. The challenge, though, is that virtually no governments have a budget line that says subsidies for illegal fishing. So the way that the negotiators are approaching it is sort of the reverse. So they're saying if there is a determination of IUU fishing, then a government should be obliged to remove all subsidies from that vessel or operator for a period of time. So it's not a question of striking out a budget line. It's a question of having processes in place to link your subsidy provision to information about compliance. Basically, they're negotiating a process for what happens after somebody says, hey, that boat isn't regulated or is fishing illegally. The process is supposed to make sure that that kind of boat doesn't get subsidies. So the way that negotiators are currently thinking about the discipline, it would apply more or less prospectively. So once a determination had been made and notified, the subsidizing member would be obliged to make sure it was not providing subsidies to that vessel or operator for a period of years. But it would also, we think, work in another way in that subsidizing members would be required to make sure that in granting new subsidies – they weren't granting those new subsidies to vessels or operators that had been found IUU fishing for a preceding period of years. This really isn't the kind of thing that the WTO normally handles. And negotiators have been fighting over it for years, over things like, what do you do if one country says a boat is fishing illegally and actually it's not? Or what happens if the fishing is in disputed waters? We could give you more details, but we're not going to. IUU fishing sounds bad, and it is. It really is. But the people we've spoken to basically say that it's a bit of a distraction. Illegal, unregulated, and unreported fishing is already all of those things. It shouldn't be happening. The bigger issue is what happens to the subsidies that contribute to overfishing and overcapacity. 
So let's talk about that more challenging area of discussions. And as a rough approximation, essentially everyone seems to want everyone else to limit their subsidies, but not have to cut their own subsidies themselves. Now we only have a window into this process. This is a negotiation that's that's not happening in public. Although there are quite a few WTO members who have made their proposals public. And we do have summaries of of the discussions that are going on from some Geneva-based officials. Right now, we do know for sure that the negotiators are not going to meet the deadline of an agreement by the end of this year. They're still pretty far apart. One problem is that the negotiators don't even seem yet to have decided which subsidies are in the scope of these negotiations. They haven't even agreed on what it is that they're trying to limit. A lot of members are saying that you shouldn't limit spending on fisheries management programs. But some members disagree with that and say, no, you should include everything. When we're putting together these subsidy limits, all forms of government support should be added into the mix. There's another argument about how specific a subsidy should be to be included in any constraints. There are a bunch of fuel subsidies that are handed out, and they're not handed out to fisheries in particular, but the fisheries still get them. And if you're a government that has a program that gives fuel subsidies to fisheries specifically, then you're going to want all those other governments that hand out general fuel subsidies, you're going to want them to face limits on their subsidies as well. There's also an argument over how you're actually going to limit these subsidies. One way is a list-based approach. Basically, you'd have a list of subsidies that are okay, and then you'd ban the subsidies that, that aren't okay. Whether a subsidy is okay or not depends on where it would be going. So the EU, along with Japan and Korea, they've proposed carve outs for some subsidies for fishing in places that are subject to fisheries management. Other WTO members disagree. They worry that this carve-out would be, would be too broad and would essentially just open the door for lots of subsidies. Now, the U.S. and a few other countries have been pushing a different approach, a capping approach. And basically, instead of having a, a good list and a bad list, you basically lump in everything together and you just cap it. You say you can have flexibility, but only up to this cap. And different countries would face different caps depending on on how much they fish. So you'd have three tiers of countries. Tier one would have the the biggest fishers. Uh, They'd basically negotiate on how quickly to reduce their subsidies to to some level. Uh, And then tier two would have more flexibility. and, And tier three really wouldn't be subject to any limits at all. Obviously, the big question is how tight these various caps would would end up being. Basically, the United States, along with Australia, Argentina, and Uruguay, they've proposed that for the 20 or so biggest fishing countries, they would either have to accept a $50 million a year cap, or they'd have to negotiate for some sort of higher one. That's their proposal. And at the moment, other members are saying, no, we don't don't like this. We want this list approach. Interestingly, the Chinese have actually waded in. They've said, sure, we can work with a cap. In June, they said that it could be good as a way of providing discipline along with the, quote, need for policy space for sustainable development, end quote. Um, another quote from their, their sort of 
proposal said that considering the multifaceted role that fisheries play in environment, trade, food security, livelihood and poverty reduction, and the diversity and differences of members' fisheries situations, reasonable policy space should be provided for in making any prohibitive disciplines. Now, the Chinese haven't signed up to the U.S. idea of a cap. China thinks that members should be able to pick between different types of caps. And one option that they would like is an allocation that would depend on the number of fisher people that a country has. When you end up doing the math on that, in 2016, of those 40 million people that Samaya mentioned as, as working in the fishing industry, one in four, 9.5 million people were in China. And so the worry is that China is proposing a limit to its subsidies that would actually be higher than the amount of subsidies that it gives out today. So basically, it looks like this Chinese proposal is for others to cut their subsidies, but for their own limit not really to be binding. I think I can I can understand other members' frustration that this proposal isn't a bit more ambitious in terms of creating limits on, on subsidies that can be given. And while that is going on, and those big fishing countries fight it out, there's another debate taking place at the same time. And that is a familiar one involving developing countries and what special and differential treatment or what exemptions and and special flexibilities that they should get out of any future deal on fish. When we were in Geneva in October, we spoke to Mukesh Bhaknagar of the Center for WTO Studies to get the Indian perspective on things. The need for special and differential treatment in Indian context, uh, if I have to say, is uh, linked to the livelihood and food security concerns of fishermen of India. Uh, We have uh, 4 million fish workers who are directly dependent on marine fishing and estimates are that in all there are 14 million fishing population in India. In India, people who fish can get refunded the taxes on, on the diesel fuel that they use in their boats. And they can also get money to put motors on their boats or for, for fishing gear or for things like ice. And there's money for infrastructure too, as well as some government programs for income support. Any withdrawal of these programs or any disciplines being taken in the WTO which will constrain or limit the possibility of state governments, Indian sub-federal governments, not to grant these subsidies will be highly, uh, highly you know, contentious and uh, problematic. It has to be. And then uh, we have unexploited fisheries resources in our exclusive economic zone. One of the proposals that the India made earlier this year is for developing countries, and that would include India, not to have to face limits on subsidies for fishing within their exclusive economic zone. And obviously, one of the contributors to that is these political sensitivities that Mukesh was describing. Here's Alice again, talking generally about carve-outs. So there's there's two things I think WTO members are trying to avoid, and that's what the DG referred to as blanket carve-outs. So blanket carve-outs for uh, developing members who have very large amounts of subsidies, the general feeling is that they should be included in an agreement and subject to some level of commitment. The other challenge is the idea of exempting all subsidies to fishing within exclusive economic zones. And that's a problem because actually 
the vast majority of fishing takes place within exclusive economic zones. So the rationale for subsidy disciplines isn't just limiting everyone's activities on the high seas in the global commons. It's also encouraging governments to take on commitments on subsidies that might help to make exploitation of their own national resources more efficient and more sustainable. The big question is whether everyone can can come together in time for the next ministerial meeting of the WTO, which is going to be in June. It's not a great sign that they haven't been able to get there yet. Now, there were a couple of other reasons for that that we haven't mentioned yet. Originally, the plan was to do a deal at the ministerial meeting when people thought that it was going to happen at the end of this year. So there was an alignment between the meeting and the SDG. Then that meeting got postponed and it turns out big political decisions are harder to make without the ministers together in a room. And there's also been some funny business over the chairperson of the talks for a while. Essentially, the Indians and the Americans were blocking each other's nominees to be the chairperson. That's now been resolved, but I think it it did slow the talks down a bit. Alice Tipping is pretty hopeful, I think. She's hoping that the fact that this is the one area of negotiation going on in the WTO, that that means that they actually have an opportunity that hasn't been there before. One of the reasons that we haven't managed to get a fishery subsidies agreement so far after so many years of trying is that until just recently, it was part of the Doha development agenda and therefore linked to progress on all sorts of other issues that were equally contentious, if not more contentious. The real opportunity we have now is that the fisheries mandate appears to have been advanced or be able to be advanced without being linked to all of these other contentious issues. So in my mind stands a better chance of success now than it did before. So the argument is that when this was all part of the Doha development round, the fish were being held hostage and getting caught up with everything else. But now it's swimming free on its own. The the talks should be able to get across the, the finish line. So maybe, and I do hope so, these government leaders have already agreed to do this as part of those SDGs. So it would be pretty shameful if they didn't manage it by their own deadline. But here at Trade Talks, I think we're pretty worried. I worry that there might not be enough trade-offs for all this to, to, to work out. In the past, deals at the WTO have had to be win-win in order to be agreed. So think about tariff cutting. That involves countries negotiating away tariffs that they're hitting each other with so that both end up being better off in the end. Now, you can make an argument that handing out these subsidies is just not in these governments' best interests. You can argue that this is a waste of their money. It's not in their own best interests to be giving out this money for ice and wenches and and fuel. They could better spend it if they just decoupled it from that fishing capacity. I agree, but for fish, it just doesn't look like the members have fully internalized this idea that the subsidies are bad for they themselves and that they should be looking for ways to get them down. So the danger here is that you end up negotiating over a deal that ends up just being far too narrow. If the world wants China to subsidize less and China just simply doesn't want to, then you have to do something else to make China play along. But if there isn't anything else being negotiated over to to trade off against, to give something else to China, then that may not be possible. So I hope, I hope that I'm over worrying about this and the ministerial in June next year, I'll be wrong and we will have a deal. Yeah, and, and for all the negotiators out there listening to this, take June as an opportunity to prove your naysayers, that's us, wrong. 
Prove us wrong, please. That is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Alice Tipping of the International Institute for Sustainable Development and Mukesh Patnagar of the Centre for WTO Studies. We should also thank the World Economic Forum for their wonderful video with David Attenborough. Do check out the episode page at our website. We'll provide links to that video, as well as links to some of the underlying pieces of, of research that really tries to dig into this, this economic policy problem. That is found at www.tradetalkspodcast.com. Thanks also to Colin Warren at Audio Guy. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to building the fish stocks that we want, having two fish is always better than one. Or even more than two. <laughs>